Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps episode 15, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. My name is Jordan Costa and this week we will be checking out Beauty and the Beast, a 1991 Disney animated musical romance directed by Harry Truesdale and Kirk Wise. This was Disney's 30th feature length film based on the French fairy tale of the same name written by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont. I am joined by Disney Princess Sarah Alexander. No one intros like Jordan. Da, 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 da. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> and generic Disney Prince Chris McMullen. Prince, what the shit? I mean, hi. Generic. Yeah, there's always a generic Prince in his background. <laughs> oh, that was hurtful. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay because we also have talking Ottoman Craig Moore. No one's <laughs> handsome and charming and clever as Jordan. Oh, that was nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My first question to you folks is: Did you enjoy Beauty and the Beast? Yes. Yes. You know what? Yeah. Damn. That's a curveball. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Mark it in your calendars. Oh no, I was so ready to go into with like she's a slave and women's rights and. Fuck you. She's actually one of the more competent yeah, Disney princesses really yes. and has her own yes. ethical code. She's not like, oh, I'm going to sell my voice to a sea witch. Or I'm going to randomly prick and curse no. myself on this fucking spinning wheel. No, yeah, no. I like Belle. I enjoyed the film more than I was expecting. I thought this was going to be, like Chris said, about Stockholm Syndrome. But after a rewatch, it's not nearly as creepy as I remember. The animation is gorgeous and fluid. And the exaggerated personalities are super fun to watch. I think actually it was the first film on this list I thought was a little too short which was weird but we can get into that a little bit later this movie was full of nostalgia for me when it came out in 91 this would have been one of the first disney movies i ever saw as a child toddler and i definitely was Belle. i would dump out my grandma's knitting basket put my books in and i would wander around and i wasn't sure how this would hold up rewatching it because it's been quite some time even though i still remember all the songs and you know what i still loved it i watched it i thought it's fantastic sure holding up to some of the pixar Disney movies that have come out, this still does a really good job. And what I like about it is it's a production. It's huge. The musical numbers are insane. The animation is so good. I love it every time I watch the movie and I love it every time I've seen it on stage. It's just a fantastic story. I love this look so much more than the 3D CG animation that we saw in something like Up. Like those hand-drawn classical Disney animations will hold up forever and they look beautiful. Mm -hmm. Even though they're reused in dozens of of (laughs) Disney movies. The dance animation, a couple of those keyframes, I've seen them yeah, before, yeah. but you know what? If it ain't broke. It's still good. Yeah. It's cheat, so cheat, good. cheat where you can. Yeah. Work smart, not hard, but right? But there, there was some CGI in there. I don't know if I, I can remember like a big ballroom. That was amazing how that was done. But it, it didn't seem jarring compared to the flatness. Like it, it looked like garbage. It didn't look as good as the flat hand-drawn stuff at all. Mm. I agree. This is the first instance of a Disney major motion picture using computer-generated imagery. And so... Yeah, it's very early, but I did think that was the worst looking part of the film. I thought it looked really jarring in comparison with the drawings. And as an anime fan, it's it's kind of a touchy subject because CG is becoming more and more popular in anime productions because the timelines are getting condensed more and more. So studios are relying on CG more and more. And I just, I feel like it doesn't have that same whimsy or excitement that uh, something drawn by hand does. It feels too inorganic or synthetic, if that makes any sense. You really want to tell people that you're a fan of anime? Like, 
You got so much going against you already. But yeah, they could tell yeah. by his hair. <laughs> Did you think that there was anyone who heard this podcast who didn't already peg Jordan as an anime <laughs> I fan? Actually All right, let's start with the first act of the film. Belle's dancing around in her small little French town. We're introduced to three of our characters. We got Belle, we got Gaston, we got Maurice. What did you think of the intro to the film and how Disney chose to utilize these three characters? Loved it. I like that Belle is a rocket despite her dad, but she's also intelligent and she's in her own world she's not waiting around to get married she has a dream she has drive and that's what she's working towards and Gaston was my first Disney crush I'm not gonna lie it's probably set my standard no. for men from here on out okay okay wait, wait. Fla- flashing back to the Rocky episode mm, Sarah had some choice words to say about Rocky and I think Gaston might be I don't know e- what even worse sexual predator I would make my grandpa pretend to be Gaston not the beast was your grandpa a giga chat <laughs> no they, uh, Here's a hot take. Gaston is the beast. Oh, I like that. Very cool. Very Insightful, cool. Craig. Who is the real beast? Yeah. Interesting. I'm telling you. I just like that Belle knew her worth. She knew her value. She wasn't waiting around like those triplets just to get on <laughs> Gaston's arm. And that's yeah. why Gaston yeah. wanted her. You want what you can Just because he couldn't have her. Since you brought up the triplets, I did not remember <laughs> this much boobs. There were boobs. There were guns. There was alcohol. Alcoholism. People died in this film. Yeah, I like, this that. is hardcore. <laughs> you don't get this with modern children's films. This is your daddy's Disney story. I like Belle because she stands by her morals. Sarah said she has her own moral code. She has a head on her shoulders, which is pretty rare for most of these Disney princesses, except for Mulan. Mulan's a shit. But I did think it was weird that she was constantly referred to as the beauty throughout the entirety of the film, despite the fact that she goes above and beyond to prove she is more than just a pretty face. I think that actually hurt her a little bit and I think it would have been a little bit better of a story if the emphasis on her beauty diminished as the story went on but they were just laying right into it and even at the end the ballroom scene they're singing about beauty and the beast and whatnot I thought that was a bit of a missed opportunity but all in all I did really enjoy it maybe she's beauty because she's not just physically attractive maybe she's beautiful inside Damn. and outside no no you see you did a good job with Gaston now you're just being <laughs> a nice person one insightful comment <laughs> don't talk about Belle like that she's not a dead no. horse the moment I was sold on Belle is when she gave up her freedom for her father's. I thought that was a really heartwarming moment and the moment where I really connected with Belle and was on board for her journey. The moment I connected with Belle was when she went to the bookstore and I was like, that's my kind of girl. <laughs> the dungeon is where I connected with her. There's a naughty joke there, but I'm just going to assume you meant what I meant. Oh, I 100% did. Do you guys know who Tyler 1 is? Uh, he's the oh. brother of Tyler oh 2. My God. Gaston is literally the Disney incarnation of Tyler 1. He's so unlikable, but that doesn't change the fact that you're always interested to see what stupid, awful, terrible thing he does next, mostly to his poor, innocent little sidekick. That guy got such... Does he have a name? Le Fou. Does that just mean the... Which translates to the crazy, right? The Fool, yeah. I thought Maurice was, he was interesting. He was neat. He was kind of quirky. He served as the backbone for Belle's intellectualism, uh, where she would have got it from. He's always tinkering and experimenting, finding new ways to do things. But at the end of the day, he seemed like a bit of a plot device, which was fine. I mean, he got the plot rolling. He went, got himself lost in the woods and got this whole journey on the way. Question, if there is a village so close to a giant castle housing a 10 foot tall wolf man, how is everyone just learning about this after they get the magic mirror? There was an enchantress that enchanted the prince and everyone in the castle it's reasonable to suspect that she enchanted the castle as well so that people would forget about it and not go seek him but everyone who looks for the castle finds the castle even by accident it's not hidden well yeah it is it's hidden in the 
darkest, deepest, creepiest wood. I totally dug the wood. I just don't know how the horse left Maurice on a cliff and then was able to direct Belle to the castle where he was, even though the horse never would have saw him go to the castle. You don't know what that horse gets up to in his spare time. He was you still lurking. <laughs> he must have had Maurice's scent. He, maybe... A blood horse. There's like a whole sequence of the film where Belle's doing things in the castle and when she decides to run away, her horse is just standing outside in the freezing cold, just waiting for her, doing nothing. Presumably for like two <laughs> weeks at this point. Somehow it's not just like a skeleton. Anyway, once Belle gets herself a license within Beast's castle, we get into our second act of the film in which we're introduced to the Beast and his servants as prominent characters. What do you think of this middle section of the film and some of these new characters we're introduced to? Lumiere is one of my favorite Disney characters of all time. I absolutely love him. You won what is he doing with this feather duster? But the end of that movie, damn, he knew what he was doing all along. This was a long con. He knew one day yeah. our curse is going to be broken and all this goodwill is going to pay off. I loved all the sidekick characters that were in the castle. They were amazing. I liked the whole part and I liked to see the development of Belle's relationship with the beast and how it was not based on her really trying to change him, but him choosing to change his own behavior based on the healthy boundaries she set for herself and how she thought she deserved to be talked to. My memory of this movie was that it was a story about a woman who had an unhealthy relationship with an aggressive guy. And then watching it as a 33-year-old, actually watching her say, no, I'm not coming to dinner with you. Not if you're going to talk to me like that. I was like, hey, you know what? Fair enough. Good lesson to teach little girls. If you're going to be a dick, I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah, I think it had a lot, like we said earlier, the Stockholm Syndrome and the abusive teach women to just pick uh, assholes and you can change them. That was my whole like pre-rant. I was so ready on that. So in that regard, I am disappointed. (laughs) Because you don't, because you have to take the side of the positive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there will be something there you can reuse it for. (laughs) In terms of the beast, I loved his character design, the way he's drawn, how he hunches over, he's massive, and the way he speaks to Belle when he first enters the castle he's so animalistic and swift in his movements and he gets down on all fours and he has this grumble in his voice but as the movie goes on they dial it back he begins moving in a more human-like way and that rasp to his voice slowly fades back as the humanity returns to him as he begins to fall in love with Belle and I thought that was an amazing way to symbolize his growth as a character subtle touch but beautiful yeah I love that you got to like he that he would would stalk around on all fours that well done I did have a question I wanted to ask you guys about so it's in this part of the film we kind of learn a little bit about the curse and what happened with the old woman that so the prince refused to allow this woman to come in the house and then she cursed him because he turned her away until his 21st birthday I think it was right wasn't he like nine years old or something like little children should not let strangers in their house no the rose bloomed until he was 21 Okay. And then after that, it started to die. Okay, picture picture this, picture this. I'm in London. I got $1,000 rent due tomorrow. <sighs> I got $12 in my bank account. I find this weed on the ground, dandelion, bring it up to my landlord. Look, I know I owe you a thousand bucks, but in exchange for letting me live here and not be cold, this flower. I'll tell you one thing, I'm gonna get thrown out <laughs> so fast. Yeah, okay, <laughs> but if somebody came to your front door in the middle of a storm and you had a palace, you'd let them stay. I'm just saying this sets inaccurate expectations about how rent worked. That's all. But it wasn't rent. It was just like a night out of the cold. Damn, you think these halls heat themselves? It wasn't rent, George. <laughs> they were already heated. a place to stay. You're gonna make Lumiere work all night to warm your ass? 
for free. <laughs> so you're telling me the prince was an adult when the- He would have been like, I figured he was like somewhere between 17 and 19. Yes, Craig, he was an adult. But didn't they say in the songs, like for 15 years we've ten been years. waiting or something like that? They said for 10 years, but that's because he never entertained and he had been in power as prince for 10 years. It's not that it was 10 years since they've been objects. I think this story would be better if he was there for like a thousand years trapped in this eternal life purgatory and this rose just had a really long life. I think it would have made his like more animalistic intentions and movements and behaviors more believable if he was stuck there alone going, not alone, but going stir crazy yeah. with his state. Two years and he forgets how to use a fork. Yeah, it seems know. a little sus. I don't know. It's been COVID <laughs> for just over a year and I'm feeling pretty stir crazy myself. So I kind of believe it. In terms of the servants, there's this popular YouTube video ranking the waifus within the Kingdom Hearts 2 universe. Kingdom Hearts is a video game that combines Disney characters and Final Fantasy characters. And so on this list, both the wardrobe and Miss Potts are ranked as as to their suitability as a spouse. <laughs> and I was rewatching it and I couldn't stop thinking about this video the entire time. And when I went and rewatched the video afterwards, the guy's just talking about how you could get with Miss Potts and it would be great, but you'd always have to worry about her, her baggage that is her son, Chip. And I'm just thinking, what is wrong with people? Doesn't she have a bunch of kids? So I wanted to ask about this. That's what I didn't get either. Why are all those other little teacups locked in the china cabinet all the time, but Chip's allowed to, allowed to run around wild? And he's broken. I did give a little thought to this. What I think it is, is that the actual people were turned into household stuff and the household stuff became animated. So when the spell- oh, that makes sense. So when the spell was broken, Mrs. Potts went back to being a woman, but there was still all the regular shiny that matched what she looked like. Interesting. So does this yeah. bring on a, a moral conundrum of whether breaking the curse was the right or wrong thing to do? You just killed a bazillion oh. inanimate force. Because these were sentient beings that have since been killed because spell broke the curse. No, you're thinking into it too much. Don't worry about it. This took a turn. I actually thought they were all servants and there were just thousands of people living in this house, but that makes way more sense. I thought that too. I was like, how, just out of Beersteins alone, you have enough servants. Yeah. That makes sense, Chris. Oh, that's, you're on that's it. That's my theory. And I, you know what? I'm kind of getting on Craig's idea that that this, the spell murdered hundreds of sentient beings. <laughs> By flipping this switch on the trolley, you could kill 18 sentient teacups. But if you don't switch it, humans will be cursed to be teacups forever. We're not getting into this debate. You brought this up earlier, Craig, but I do think the interactions between Lumiere and Cogsworth were great. I thought the two bounced off of each other really well. And that was a nice lighter element of the film to balance off how aggressive beasts could be. I actually read in the original fairy tale, the house was empty and there were no servants and there was no guest. But this was actually added in an earlier adaptation prior to Disney, a French production that added a character like Gaston and added the servants to give it a more lighthearted feel so it wasn't so dark and gloomy. And I thought that was a great change, at least for this story. It was good to adopt that. Agreed. Yeah, well, especially due to the target audience being yes. children, it wouldn't have been that enjoyable for children without the colors and the songs and the crazy characters singing about, you know, dinner and stuff if it was just the beast stomping back and forth waiting for Belle to fall in love 
love with him. This is actually the one section of the film too I thought wasn't quite long enough. I thought it needed a little bit more runtime, maybe 20 to 25 minutes so you could flesh out the relationship building process for Belle and the Beast. I think it's really close to being good enough, but it feels a little bit too jarring towards the end of it. So if you could throw in a couple more segments where they're interacting with each other, building that trust, building that relationship, I think the film would be a little bit stronger here. I felt like the bit with Gaston getting the whole city riled up against Belle's father went really quick. This was, I think, our shortest movie. You gotta keep those little whippersnappers uh, in line. Exactly. You have to keep the pace going or else kids' attention is just gone, right? Any parent will tell you, and I'm not a parent. I want to circle back to the, the romance, though. was so much better than the romance in Braveheart. You know what, Chris? I have had it up to here with you talking crap <laughs> oh about the God, romance in Braveheart. And back. I have never <laughs> heard something that I'm so irritated by that I totally agree with. <laughs> not see it going that way. That's amazing. This was a beautiful romance story. Craig's been known to uh, change his mind from time to time. He can be persuaded. Me too. You have to not have a garbage argument. That's all. Fair. Anyways, this ends the second act. Beast grants Belle her freedom instead of confessing his love, which I think is definitely the most heartwarming moment of the film. That's when I thought it hit the hardest. And we transition into our third act, Gaston, getting the townsfolk pissed off and bringing them to the Beast to initiate the final battle. How do you guys feel about this conclusion man it was way crazy for a disney movie it was violent for a disney movie gaston digs a dagger right into beast's side and i'm pretty sure there's blood yeah. i thought it was intense i i really enjoyed it really love that gaston wants the beast to fight back because this is the biggest challenge the biggest kill he'll ever get in his entire life and he feels almost like he needs to rile the beast up so he can get a real challenge and i thought that was great character building for gaston maybe maybe not character building but maybe it was really well done in character for for Gaston. And I love that Beast just doesn't care. He's given up, but it's when he sees Belle again that he rises up and we get this fantastic battle on the rooftop. One of my notes is people learn the Beast exists. Instantly, he'll kill us, must kill him. That's like, that's... <laughs> That's what I got 100% accurate. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I don't know what it is. We better go kill yeah. it. And I love yeah. Emo Beast just moping in the castle. Yep. <laughs> Agreed. Just throwing a little My Chemical yeah, Romance, yeah. add that into the OST, yep. put it in the background. If you guys want to talk about the music, we can do that. I actually thought this was one of the weaker Disney soundtracks in their repertoire. All of Gaston's songs are bangers. This ain't no Tarzan. There's no Phil Collins. Listening to this soundtrack just makes me want to go listen to Hellfire from Notre Dame because that song freaking rocks. That's a banger too. I really think a lot of this, it just didn't hit very hard. Like they were very, I think the fun songs were good and I enjoyed those, but it didn't have like a really high impact, tense song during a very climactic moment. I think that's what I would have liked. Gaston was my favorite song in this film. Be Our Guest is one of the most iconic Disney songs of all time. I did hear that a lot of the songs that made it into the Broadway production were cut from the original film. I think they would have just left them in given that the runtime was so short, it could have added a little bit more value. I can't think of anything in the show, like the stage production that was any different. I haven't seen the stage production, so I don't Aww. think I would be convinced to, but if uh, tickets fell from the sky, I would go. That's uh, not a great recommendation, but I'd be down. I'd go see it. Bree, if you're listening to this, get tickets to go see Beauty and the Beast on on stage and you and I can go watch it. But if you don't listen to this episode, we're not going. <laughs> well done. 
Does anyone's partner listen to the, the podcast? Bree says she does, so I guess we'll find out. We'll see. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't addressed so far? Either moments you really liked or moments you really didn't like? I think we talked a lot about the film's strengths, maybe, but not much about its weaknesses, if you wanted to bring something up. I did want to back up one of the things I said earlier with a little bit of evidence that Belle isn't just beautiful on the outside. It is my opinion that the moment that Beast falls in love with her is the moment he sees how excited she gets about the library. And he sees the person she is beneath the surface and that's when he falls in love with her it's not just because she's pretty it's because she's a beautiful person who gets excited and is interested in things and has her own ideas of what she wants to do and that's when he catches he's interested in her and starts falling in love with her so a lot of disney movies they get a bad rap for giving young girls unrealistic expectations of men Belle gave me an unrealistic expectation of women. This was the girl that I grew up. I want I got to find me a Belle. And then I did, which was great. Oh, you're so cute, Craig. I just wanted to point out some of the, like, the genuinely creepy, scary stuff that was really good. So the whole West Wing, that was awesome. That was yes, like my yeah. favorite part. I feel like now we, the shows are a little more sanitized. You don't get the scary stuff. The fight with the wolves, that was really suspenseful. Yeah, it was. You're right. Yeah, you don't get a lot of that spooky. Like, do you remember Dark Cauldron from Disney? Like, that was a very scary movie that I, as a kid, had a hard time getting through the first time because I was literally spooked the entire time by an animated Disney picture. Like, they old, old Disney <laughs> does do spooky well. And they strike a nice balance between spooky but not horrify the children for years to come. Yeah, not like a kid yeah. <laughs> has nightmares and has to sleep with mom and dad scary. Obviously, you didn't see uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow when you were like... Is it Disney? Oh, you guys never had, like... Oh, God. Childhoods? <laughs> <laughs> the wild world of the wide world of Disney. That was going off the air right as I started becoming a sentient human. I can remember going to my grandparents' place and we'd watch that. Like it was on like every Sunday night, and yeah, some of that stuff was scary. That the, the uh, their Sleepy Hollow is probably not scary to me now, but it was good. Oh, interesting. And they used to do a lot more scary stuff. I actually got to see Song of the South before it was erased. Ooh. Yeah, that's how old I am. I read that the West Wing, the gargoyle type things, were early Beast prototype drawings. Oh, that yeah? they were while well, they were figuring out what he was looking. That's like. pretty oh, cool. That's awesome. Like Jordan said earlier, work smart, not hard. You've got all this pre-drawn <laughs> stuff. Might as well use it, right? This is totally like not on topic, but I did see the Beast design for the remake, the live action one, and I think it's significantly worse than the aesthetic they built in this film. I haven't seen. Has anyone seen the live action? I did not watch it. I refuse. I haven't seen it. I've just seen the promotional material. I watched it. We're not here to specifically rate it, and I'm not going to rank it or anything. But eh. <laughs> I give it an eh. I give it a one. Out of five. <laughs> it didn't need to be done. I won't watch it. Yeah, it was the movie for no one that no one asked for. That's every modern Disney movie. Yo, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, dumbass kids want some more Star Wars. <laughs> Craps out three terrible Star Wars movies. Y'all want any more Lion Kings? I think I can squeeze a two and a half in there. <laughs> <laughs> Get love the Mon and Pumba. Put them in. So this is the only Disney animated film on the list. And just while we were here, I thought it would be a cool opportunity to reflect on some of our favorite Disney films that we remember growing up or some of our favorites now. My favorite Disney movie, favorite animated Disney movie is Mulan. That's a good one. Hard to argue with Mulan. I actually didn't see Mulan until I was, I think, 21 years old. And even going into it with a fresh pair of eyes in university, I thought it was a great film. At risk of giving away a couple of my old passwords to websites that I don't use anymore, Mulan came out on my birthday. Oh, God. You're giving away all your security. Security oh. questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hack. 
I liked Mulan until I figured out it was Donny Osmond singing The Prince and then he just lost some of his appeal for me. He wasn't as sexy when you I picture that face behind the voice. Oh, that's but. savage. Is he still alive? Because if he is, he isn't now. <laughs> <laughs> I also really liked Pocahontas. I haven't seen that one yet. I, I can't think of one that I like. This was fine. I think to go to my favorites, I think might be Aladdin. I have really fond memories of that. I love the aesthetic of Aladdin. I think it's really cool. It's different. No, I think not a lot of media takes place in the desert and so anytime that uh, atmosphere comes up I just think it's fun I like the magic the genie is wonderful oh, it's Robin Williams yeah absolutely absolutely nails the role Brie doesn't like Aladdin because he gets the girl by lying to her oh. which is not a good lesson to learn not as a child it's a good point you can get the girl by lying but you can't keep the girl mm. by lying and I haven't seen Aladdin too but I hope she finds Jafar's out Jafar's revenge return of Jafar <laughs> oh is that what it is return yeah I don't know why is every Disney sequel absolutely terrible? Yeah, what was the well Beauty and the Beast sequel was Enchanted Christmas. I haven't seen a single good Disney classic animated sequel like based on a fairy tale. If they choose to go off on their own and extend the story, I think it's always a failure. I agree. The fairy tales are nice little tight packages. You can't really extend it. The Big D's got to milk all those kids. Are you allowed to say Big D on YouTube? Oh, that's a bad image. <laughs> I always think of Disney as like this old world company with all these classic animations dating back decades and decades and decades but now it's in the modern day they're acquiring everything i think of them more as like a conglomerate capitalist empire than this whimsical old world fantasy it's just a mouse right? behind a desk signing papers <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what it is in south park we're about to get taken down dmca's takedown on our podcast just for bad bad mouth in the mouse Okay. Are we good to rank now? Yeah, let's rank this sucker. If you're following along with the YouTube video, you can check the top of the description and there is a spreadsheet in there containing our lists so far, ranking each film. But without further ado, Sarah, where are you going to put Beauty and the Beast amongst the films we have seen so far? Fourth spot for nostalgia. Great production. Love the songs. Love the characters. Very cool. How about you, Mr. McMullen? Uh, this one came in at nine for me. That's cold. Better than Slumdog, worse than Airplane. I think Airplane's fallen from favor quite a bit here. It's my last as we've seen more films it seems like that's the one that keeps getting kicked down the ladder a little bit no i'm saying that airplane is higher than beauty and the beast Oh, are you? Yeah. And then Slumdog oh, okay. is under that at number 10. Oh, sorry. I miss I misheard that. How about you, Craig? This is where the stars align here, probably due to us growing up in the same period. I'm also yeah. placing Beauty and the Beast in fourth. I wanted to be her. You wanted to be with her. Sarah, I think it's probably just hit us at the same time at the same age. So it's stuck there. It's our life goals. <laughs> I'm going to put this uh, film at number 10. Better than Deer Hunter, not as good as Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> at this point, I realize how low I've placed Reservoir Dogs. I don't even think that's a bad film. So this is a good thing for the list. It means most of yeah. these films are actually pretty solid. Yeah, it was once we hit a certain period that the uh, the films yes. really started taking off. I think it's just going to be harder. Yeah, I've had fun the last several recording sessions. These have been all good back to back to back. I don't think we've gotten a weak film in a while. It gets harder now. Like, where does it fit? And I feel bad kicking down something I like. <laughs> what are we going to be watching in episode 16, Chris? We are going to be watching David Fincher's Seven. I'm going through a Brad Pitt throwback movie time. So this is perfect for me. Like 1990s Brad Pitt. I've been there for it. He's in True Romance, right? Yes, he was. He was like the roommate who always got high. That's right. It was just the him. bear bong. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not many places you can watch this for free. You can find it on High Def. You can watch it on Crave Stars, which is like an extended tier of Crave. If not, you can rent it on Apple 
Apple TV, Google Play, Cineplex, Microsoft, YouTube, and Amazon. We'd like to extend a special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com. Special thank you to Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Frank Costa, and Ryan Saarinen. If you would like to support the show, you can check out the link in the top of the YouTube description. But thank you so much for helping us out. Until next time, this has been Popcorn Peeps episode 15, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Your support is never appreciated. Your support is always appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say Coxworth? <laughs>